And there came a day. A day unlike... Wait. No, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks in... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 283 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I am Brian. The boys are back in town. <laughs> there you go. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so, um, yeah, just a bit of overwhelming life for me and then vacation, which after the overwhelming life was desperately needed. So. I've, I've, I've had one of those things. I've had one of those things. It's not the thing I need. I've had one of those things. <laughs> So Alex, when I when I took this new job last November, I negotiated to to keep the vacation. Like I had to like work to negotiate to keep all the vacation time I had built up, right? And uh -huh. at the level that I'm at, that like it, I could I could do that. I could negotiate for time. Um, since then, this was the first day I've taken off. I believe that. <laughs> I'm like, damn. Okay. I'm glad I glad I got glad I negotiated all that vacation that I have just not used at all. I'm in that weird position where I actually get a decent amount of vacation a yeah. year. But because of, you know, the whole pandemic thing and the fact that my normal work week includes overtime and I'm not salaried. And normally it benefits me not to be salaried because of said overtime. Yeah. If I'm not going anywhere, I hate to take vacation, even if I need just like a couple of days off. Because if I take a day off and then still work like I would the rest of the week... Overtime doesn't kick in for me, and I end up making less. Got it. In that week, yeah, well, for me, it's just been an issue of it's not worth taking the day off because it would be that much worse when I came back the next day. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I feel that too. I'm fortunately in the position at this point, I think, where I don't have to worry about that. I just have to worry about you know it being safe to travel and go places and be a tourist. Well, one of the things I felt really good about is I worked really hard, like, prepping for this, like, getting everything in place, right? Mm -hmm. And the way we had it set up, just because, again, there's just so much that is in flux and that I'm doing and making changes for um, that really kind of nobody else has a real good handle on. Um, we set it up so that at 7.30 every morning, there was a, a meeting scheduled. And if they didn't have something that they needed me for, they would cancel the meeting. Beautiful. They canceled all the meetings. <laughs> it was you like, are... that was like the best. That may have been the best part of vacation was waking up and looking at the phone and going canceled. I'm like, yes, you are maybe the luckiest human alive. <laughs> I cannot imagine that good fortune. Here's... It, 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 one, it 100% is my boss. He was like, no, I want you he, like all, the whole team. He was like, no, if it's not. First, he said, you know what? Don't even count that. Just run it by me, and I'll let you know if we need to reach out to him. <laughs> Here is a sampling of issues I had prior to just today's performance. And I will point out, every performance this weekend has been about like this. Yeah. Motorized wheelchair used in the last scene had not been charging for the last 48 hours because of a problem with its charger. Have to catch actors and retrain them and slightly reblock the last scene in order to have people push the motorized wheelchair with oh, the engine Lord. disabled. Sound engineer, caught in traffic, arrives at 1.30 to do sound check. Union requirements are a half hour between last pre-show business and curtain. Half hour is called at 1.40, meaning curtain has to hold 10 minutes, which is... Not the worst thing on a Sunday because matinee crowds always run a little late. Sure. But this show has had some excessive curtain times to the point where I had the theater's managing director like questioning them and making sure it was necessary front of house business and not lax stage management. Mm -hmm. So having 
that conversation this morning and then having that come up, not the best thing for the day. Also not helpful, none of the battery packs that were set to charge overnight for our wireless comm systems that let me talk to my two board ops, the four spotlight operators, and the two assistant stage managers backstage actually charged. So we had one battery left over with a charge that didn't get used in our two performance day yesterday. I took the two batteries that I could find with two hours on each of them and gave them to one of the ASMs backstage. I jumped to wired comms and my board op stayed on wireless until they died. And then an intermission swapped over to wired comms. That, that last thing I was given all of 45 seconds to solve. Sure. Um, and an actor was not in costumes at curtain. So we had to hold for that because of all of that business that involved them. That was today. That was today. If I go back a perform, if I go back twenty four hours, it involves walking in the theater with water on the stage. <laughs> so I'm not going to go back any further. No, let's. Uh, you know, we're we going to talk do, about we comics. Move forward and talk about comics. That's what we should do. Uh, first book up, clear number one. Brian, do you know anything about this? Other than what's in front of you on the um, notes. I know that, yeah, I know it's written by Scott Snyder. That's what I know, because it's on the notes. <laughs> uh, it is, in fact, written by Scott Snyder, with art by Francis Manipool, and letters by Andworld Design. Uh, this is one of those things that you might have missed, Brian, because it doesn't show up in solicits, because it's Comixology. October is Scott-tober for Comixology. Oh this is God. the second of four horror-adjacent uh, ongoings or miniseries that Snyder is doing with different artists for Comixology. Mm -hmm. uh, last week's was called something and was drawn by Greg Capullo. So, um, so something number one. Uh, what was it called? We are. Oh no, it wasn't actually called something. I see. No, I mean this was called Clear. So who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, you raise a valid point. We have demons. That's it. Ah, we have demons. Uh, this one is a sort of neo-noir pulp thriller about this world where everybody has these, like, ocular filters that let you look through the world with basically whatever video game DLC skin you want to have. So if you want everything to look like the 40s, it will look like the 1940s. If you want everything to look like you're living in the middle of, this is an example from the book, a porn movie. It will look like that. Some are cheaper, some are more affordable, but almost everyone uses them. Got it. Except the detective, or private investigator, who is the, the main character in this book, who gets hired out to, like, the, the case he has in this issue is a woman has hired him because she wants to prove that her husband is using one of these filters on her when they're together and wants to find out who he wants her to actually look like. Oh God. Um, and it's this, it's about this world. Where, like no one's actually engaging with the real world and what it looks like. Everyone's yeah. just going for these like corporate promoted alternate versions of reality. Yeah. And it's like, one, it's gorgeous. It's Francis Manipal drawing, coloring. Absolutely beautiful book. And the styles, I mean, if you think about this premise, right, the shifting aesthetics, Manipal will, like, across a page, do each panel in one of these different designs. Uh, like, different different filters, filters right? Filters, right. So, so, so how well does the Genshin Impact filter sell? <laughs> <laughs> I bet that one sells pretty well. They don't get yeah. into that specifically, but I bet it does. Yeah, pretty much any of the anime filters. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it sets up this this kind of mystery about uh, the issue is framed with this character who we learn is the main character's ex-wife uh, committing suicide. And at the end of the issue, he receives this package that he had sent her a few days earlier returned with a watch in it with scratched on the back of it i was murdered oh um uh -oh. yeah 
Yeah. So it's it's very much like noir, right? It's okay, very sure. much like old noir, but with this like cyberpunk almost vibe. Alex, stop telling me about books because you make me want to read them. <laughs> like, okay, we had a whole long conversation before this episode about how we yes. both have to trim our pull lists for for our like, sanity's sake. I have to drastically trim. I, I'm just, I, I, I clearly, I cannot keep up. So, I, I would say even in spite of that, Brian, like, actually, do read number one of this. Like, you yeah, may come yeah. back to it and say, "I'll grab the trade later," or just binge it at some point. Yeah, but. I mean, it's Snyder, so you know it's good, it's, but also it it's so, so gorgeous. Cool. So it gorgeous. sounds really, really cool. It really is. Um, okay, moving on. Yes. Superman and the Authority, number four. I'm going to be, I'm going to tread lightly on this one. It's the last issue of this miniseries. Uh, written by Grant Morrison, art by Mikel Hanin, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by Tom Napolitano. This is... Very much like Superman springing his trap as the ultra ultra humanite springs his, and there are some really cool moments in it. There's some really fun, like one of the things that I think is the highlight of this arc is, is sort of Superman still doing good, but recognizing that sometimes doing good takes a less black and white morality and a more gray morality. Mm-hmm. And like seeing Superman work in that mode where he's like, okay, no, maybe, maybe just a little bit of, a little bit of ends justify the means actually can do some good when applied well. That's a cool take on Superman. Not a Superman who kills, not a grim, gritty, dark Superman, like a Superman who will still like grin as he springs the trap, but maybe with like 10% more Batman in him, right? Yeah, just like Batman just kind of rubbed off on him, right? Yeah. Um, This does explicitly, explicitly tie into the status quo for Superman going forward. Because we learn why he's brought this team together. It is to save the world, but it's actually not Earth. Earth is not the world he wants to save. He's picked a very violent world ruled by this despotic dictator Uh who uh, has enslaved all of its... Yeah. Which, of course, gets the... How is that different from Earth? Uh, a sort of jab from one of the teammates. Um, and if you stop and think about it, it makes sense because, like, well, yeah, I guess we did see Midnighter on Warworld with uh-huh. Superman. Yeah, we did. They're going to Warworld. This is the team he's pulling together to go take down Mongol. That's awesome. Um, yeah. which which also makes sense now. Why? And I don't know. I'm I'm two or three issues behind something on this. But I remember the last one I read something about how like Diana and Bruce are like, we can't go with you now, but do you want to wait for us? Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. No, that, well, that was Superman about going to war world. Right. Yeah. And he's like, no, this is not, this is not just, this is not league business. I'll take, I've got, I've got something else lined up for this. Yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. Mm hmm. Uh, anyway, it's so much fun. Um, and it's funny, like, this is supposed to be Grant Morrison's last work for the Big Two for a while, and maybe they're just not the one writing it, but this does actually tease, like, another series coming up sometime in the future after. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Why don't you tell me, Brian, about Titans United number two? Yeah, so this is written by Kevin Scott with pencils by uh, Jose Luis, uh, inks by Jonas uh, Trindade. Colors by Rex Locus and letters by Carlos M. Mongual. Yeah, Mongual. Okay. Um, yeah, so this is um continuing story about Connor's powers kind of cutting out and these villains showing up that, like, have replicated Titan's powers. Um, so we get a little bit more of that story, but the, the big reason that I actually wanted to bring this up was... Um, at the end of this, um, so in addition to losing his powers, Connor's like personality is is escalating towards aggressiveness, mm. right? So we're not sure exactly what's going on there, um, but he ends up like flying up into space, and like Corey goes after him, and he's like not there; he's disappeared. She's like, even he's not that fast. I don't know what happened. Uh, we find out what happens because the last page has him basically waking up on a starship strapped onto a table. 
uh, with Blackfire sitting on a, a, a throne in the. Oh no! Yes, that is not and where I expected this sentence to it, go. It, it, that's why I wanted to bring. Like she is like this is like old school evil Blackfire. Like, yeah, it's gonna be good. I'm super Do excited. Do we have a sense, not that this really matters, but if this is in continuity, where it falls in continuity? I, you know what? We don't. I, I. You know what? It's funny that we did it right after Superman and the Authority, because right now it's feeling just about that level of of in continuity. You know how that one kind of does, but it, like it could be, but it, it like, feels yeah. like it's pushing the edge. This feels that same way. Yeah, like it's got all the elements of right now, mm -hmm. but is not explicitly tied to anything. Yeah. Yet. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. Like, that's... Yeah, that that's was... That's an interesting, I, like, like, place for this to go. <laughs> that's not what... And that's... I'm just like you. That's so not what I expected. I was like, oh, hell yes. Yeah. All anything right. else there? No, that's uh, that was that, that's what I specifically wanted to mention. This is a, this is a fun kind of old school. And I'll, the the other thing I'll, I'll I guess since I I brought it up what, that I'll mention that I do like about this is how it's it's kind of the old New Teen Titans, but like they've got Connor and Red Hood and Hawk and Dove in there, and so like it's it's like New Teen Titans plus kind of like they're just kind of they're 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 not afraid to blend kind of all of the Titans groups in there which cool I like. yeah which is also a very like infinite frontier vibe like everything yeah. everything has happened mm -hmm. yeah wonder woman number 780 not only the boys are back in town but so is diana yes she is written and... by michael w conrad and becky clunan art by travis moore and steve Pugh. colors by tamra bonvillain and letters by pat brousseau and almost but doesn't look like everybody's happy about it. The fact that she's back. I mean, I don't think anyone's unhappy. They just, like, want her to have time to rest. They feel like she's earned that. Oh, no, I was talking about Yara. She did not Oh, particularly thrilled. Yeah, I don't... It's funny, I know the Yara Floor book, uh, the Wonder Girl book, has gotten delayed a couple of times. A lot of stuff's been getting delayed because of, like, paper availability. Yeah. Um... I'm sure that there is context for that that we probably were supposed to have seen by now. Yeah, and I, but I'm I not think it sure. Specifically, says this occurs after Wonder Girl number four or something yeah. like that, right? And I feel like we've only gotten one and two so far, right? Uh, correct. I think uh, now maybe we just got three. Last okay. Week. Maybe like I. That. I wonder if I missed three. That's for me to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm really curious to see where this goes. Uh, me too. Uh, this is. Uh, it, it, you know what it was it could very easily have been just a what i call celebration book mm -hmm. right? which is you know oh she's back and she just goes sees everyone and they're all saying oh how happy it is and there's certainly that to it like right? that is the structure of the issue it, it, it is but it feels like at the same time that it's saying but but read carefully because i'm actually telling you that there's more to this and this is what's going to be happening next. Yeah, for sure. Like one of the things that we get in this is not a Diana's return does not set up a reset. Hippolyta is not going back to become <laughs> the queen again. Nubia is not stepping down to make way. Diana's not intervening to like help Nubia out politically because Nubia is not asking. Right. And that's another book that's gotten delayed. We get the first issue of that next week, uh, Nubia and the Amazon. So we don't really know what's happening there yet. But I like this idea of, like, it is a homecoming, but it's not a return to status quo. Yes. Yeah. And Diana's say, question would... now very much is, like, what is my place in the world when, like, my place was not being in the world? Right. Well, and she says, like, she said, and have... I think she's talking to Nubia when she says this and says, like, my deepest, fondest desire was that if I ever fell, you know, if, if I ever had to go when I was gone, that people would step up and take up that mantle and carry on. And that's exactly what happened. How can I not be happy about that? Yeah. Yeah. And we get, like, the flash of, like, we see all those characters, too, right? You mentioned Yara already. Mm -hmm. But we get... uh uh 
Cassie Sandsmark and Donna Troy. And can can the fact that those two are hanging out together and just like having lunch at, at the Bat at Bat Burger? <laughs> Do you think well, they get their fries fair, jokerized? I don't know that it was Bat Burger because it looks like they were in a mall and Bat Burger was just one of the things in the food court. But yeah, they were in Bat Burger. I'm 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 gonna call it. They were in Bat Burger. I mean, sure. Um, in my mind, at least they were in, in my Bat mind, they were Bat but just the, like the fact that they were hanging out together. I, I like, I just love that. I don't know. Why. Yeah. Uh, and clearly we are not done with Dr. Psycho yet. No, God, Doctor. I'm t- okay. I can, here's a little confession. I don't think I can ever see that character the same way again after the, uh, Harley Quinn animated series. No, I don't think anyone can. And frankly, I think that's a good thing. I think so. I think that show really helped that character not just be like, why? Why? Why do you exist? <laughs> and what's so, what's so, is he, he starts out that same way in that show. But yeah. just, no, oh, it's so, and sorry. I, uh, and I just laugh thinking about it. I love it. Yeah. If you have not seen that, by the way, you totally owe it to yourself to go see that show. Absolutely. Oh my god. Oh, and my... and despite my worries after reading the uh the the story in the 80th anniversary issue, there's no Steve Trevor to be found in this. So I was happy. Uh didn't he like I mean not seeing her, he was like, "Oh good, she's back." Like he was Okay, fine. There was right, one yeah. panel of Steve Trevor seeing a newspaper article going, "Yes!" Right. But that's that's fine. That's and 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 Alex and I going no, <laughs> and then we turn the page and we go, okay, yes, exactly. <sighs> Thank you, Steve, for your contribution and bringing Diana to the new world or whatever happened. But like th- that, you're done now. Bye. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, your again, services I are no longer required. <laughs> I stand by. I stand by. Wonder Woman needs to be dating like a non-human, not not human, a non-superhuman. I mean, yeah. I mean f- either way, sure. a non-superhuman like pastry chef or opera singer or like <laughs> just someone random and kind of artsy whose world is just so not hers. And like they are supportive of each other, but do not talk about work at home. Yeah, he's you know he's like a, he's like a a. a, a... A uh, YouTube food critic or something. (laughs) (laughs) Wonder Woman dates a TikTok star. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) We might have taken that one a step too far in that moment, but you know what? You know what? Uh, Oh, boy. Homesick Pilots, number 10, Brian. Oh, wow. Uh, So... We're probably going to talk about this more uh, uh, on an upcoming episode, but uh, yeah, if all goes according to plans, our next episode <laughs> that, that is the spectacular. The, that, that would be the idea, anyway. Uh, but as you can tell from our opening conversation, uh, things have not always gone according to plan recently. So we'll see what happens. Um, uh, regardless of that, this issue though is we are we are at it now. Um, uh, uh, the nuclear bastard is coming for. Uh, for the James house and Amy is headed back to it because she has accepted that uh, kind of what her role is and how she can help by controlling and, and doing this and the showdown is, is looming. So um, yeah, this is, this is 100% the, the setup for the, climax here i think or at least the first big climax yeah and it's the end of the second arc yeah um yep yeah i i did not get to read this one yet i i knew we'd be talking about it next week so i waited so i could get to a couple of other things this week um but i'm so excited i love this i know we say it all the time but like this is gonna make our best of 2021 list this is gonna probably place high on our best of 2021 list uh Dan Waters, Casper Wingard, Aditya Bidikar, Tom Muller. Yep, them's the folk. The Amazing Spider-Man, number 76, written by Zeb Wells, art by Patrick Gleason, colors by Marcio Maniz, and letters by Joe Caramagna. Wait a minute, Alex, that didn't sound like the creative team for Spider-Man. Well, one, it changed with 75, so it definitely is. Ah, okay. 
Yeah, seventy five was the first issue. That's of, right. Uh, seventy five was. Uh, you're right. You're right. for some. Yeah. I don't know why I was thinking seventy five. I'm off Spider Man, so that's why. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking. I, don't, I was thinking seventy five was the last, and this was the first. But yeah. Well, you know, Brian. Now would be a great time to get back on. <laughs> <laughs> no, remember cutting books. Cutting books, not adding but, books. But, but, you could read this one in trade, because it comes out three times a month. That's going to mean a trade, like, every two months. And you've got Saladin Ahmed and Kelly Thompson in the room, too. I do, God, damn, I mean, I'll be honest, like, to me, 100% the biggest sell is Kelly Thompson. I, like, I, I, I find it really, really hard to not read a book that she's involved in writing. You know which characters who she's bringing in and working with in her issues? Don't know. Misty Knight and Colleen Wing? God. Uh, who are in this issue as well? Let's talk about this one. So, Brian, a quick, a quick catch-up for you. Okay. What you missed last week in number 75. Ben Riley, back in town. Uh, the Beyond Company, his sponsor, is sponsoring him as Spider-Man. Because back when Otto Octavius started... Parker Industries. Mm -hmm. He registered Spider-Man as a corporate trademark, and when other companies came through and bought up all of Parker Industries' assets, Beyond bought the trademark for Spider-Man. Oh my god. So now the official canon Spider-Man has been Riley, who shows up last week, tells Peter, yeah, I'm not asking for your blessing, but I'm doing this? And he's got, like, the fancy suit and a whole team of scientists behind him, like, monitoring for threats and then upgrading his suit to handle those specific threats. He's got a, like, beyond-appointed therapist who works with him after battles to make sure he's doing okay. So it's so he's Spider-Booster. Yes, basically. <laughs> they They sprung his girlfriend out of prison. Um... Which is a whole piece of spider history I know nothing about. Okay. And, like, he's kind of living the ideal spider life. Oh he gets God. to bring in his own team to help come up with, like, gadgets and strategies. And that's where Misty Knight and Colleen Wing come into it. And at the end of 75, uh, Peter goes to deal with the UFOs who are breaking into uh, uh, Empire State campus. Mm -hmm. And Ben's already there dealing with them. And one of them goes radioactive, blasts them both. Ben's suit, totally fine. Peter's suit is just fabric. So Peter in this issue is in the hospital. It opens with Ben pretending to be Peter, calling May to say, May, I'm in the hospital. Get here now. And May being like, that's not Peter. But then rushing to the hospital. Sure. Um, Mary Jane is there at this point, too. Uh, attending to Peter, who is like unconscious, comatose after this. Ben is guilt-ridden. Uh, still has to deal with the Beyond Company. Like already, it's not great. Already, he's realizing this is maybe not the best thing. Uh, what really makes it work is like Ben and Peter trying to see eye to eye, but being so different, and like having to recognize we have so much in common, but we are such different people now, mm -hmm. and like. Mary Jane's role in this is anytime Ben Riley shows up, the worst things imaginable happen. So, like, she's at a distance from him, but he's, like, trying to do the right thing. It's this really complicated, like, messy situation that never, it never reads as messy. But, like, it's just, it's almost Spider-Man as relationship book. And that's one of my favorite places for Spider-Man to live. Yeah, yeah. Also, Aunt May dealing with doctors who are not giving clear and specific answers to his health reminded me so much of watching my grandmother deal with my grandfather's doctors before he passed away. Like, what do you mean you don't know this? You you can test this. Run these tests. Get me these answers. Yeah. So I got to I got to share when you when you first said yeah. So um, the Beyond Company hires Ben Riley to be Spider Man. For some reason, when you said that, my brain heard Ben Urich. Spider-Man, I was like, <laughs> that is, that is very different. What? No, no, <laughs> he's then, an X-Men. Yeah, then it immediately, then I immediately caught on. I was like, no, 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 wait, he said Ben Riley. But yeah. that was, that moment was like, oh, now that's different. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, hey, save it for when you write Spidey. <laughs> there, yeah, there it is. There it is. There's my pitch. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, like, there's so much that's going on here, and there are so many moving pieces, and I really, really love it. Very cool. 
Yeah, like I was, I, I was a little I, I, nervous about the three times a month five yeah. person bullpen thing, but yeah. honestly, I'm, I'm, I feel like if these are the way it's structured, it's gonna work really well. I am very happy to see you excited about Spider Man again. I am very happy to be excited about Spider Man again. Yeah. Like we we don't get negative on here, but this take so far is much more my speed. Mm-hmm. Like I said. Spider-Man as, like, borderline relationship comic is, like, one of my favorite places for To be it. fair, it is what we tend to... I mean, it's like when we were talking about, you know, like, the the the, the Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Bruce Wayne, Selina state fair issue, you know, where, like, like we just... We love that, that, that individual relationship yeah. part of these stories, of these heroes that, you know, we know they can punch and fight and beat things up. That's not... Yeah. Well, it's also, it's like when we talk about Dick Grayson's love life. Mm-hmm. I feel very similarly, actually, about Dick Grayson you know and what? Peter Parker in this regard. From from a, a, not the superhero side of it, but from a person side of mm-hmm. it. Yeah, they are very similar. That's a great comparison. And I think especially when it comes to their romantic interest. I, I grew up on the cartoon, right? So I grew up only really knowing MJ. And for a very long time, I was like, yeah, MJ's awesome. MJ's obviously the best choice for Peter. And then, not even Gwen Stacy, not even Gwen Stacy, Carly Cooper in Dan Slott's run, I'm like, oh, I don't know who this character is, but honestly, I really like her. And then through, and I know I know, people like to kind of rag on the, the uh, uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. And some of that, I think, is valid. I actually do have a lot of affection for those movies. But chief among that is uh, uh, Emma Stone. That's Emma Stone, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Emma Stone as as Gwen in those is just next level. Like, I think she's the best thing about those movies. I think she's yeah, the best yeah. thing about a lot of movies she's in. <laughs> There's a she's just, she gets paid what she does. <laughs> Yeah, she's just fantastic. But, like, that's what really sold me on her. And now it's like, I kind of don't care who Peter's with, honestly, so long as the relationship is given due respect. And thinking about that a moment ago, when you you mentioned that's kind of what we like about Superman and Batman and those issues in Tom King's run, it reminded me of our conversation right before uh, the end of Death Metal about... We don't really either feel a whole lot of attachment to Dick and Barbara. I don't necessarily feel one way or the other Barbara versus Starfire. I know that statement does not necessarily apply to you. But the way that the Dick and Barbara thing has been developed even over the last few months now in Nightwing, like that works so well for me. I think seeing those moments in the middle of everything else really really are effective there. And I think in Spider-Man, those are the things that I hang to the most too. So I don't, this is definitely a tangent, but we're going here anyway. So (laughs) the whole Dick Grayson, Corey thing, I have come to realize that I feel about that probably exactly like he does, which is I was a huge fan of it when it, when it was going on. Like I loved those two together. I thought it was great, but I think they have both grown and it is a relationship that, you know, that they will always love that they had, but have probably moved on from. I think that's totally fair. I'm like, that's the kind of thing I love about these moments in comics. Like, would you have said that a year ago? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. But, um, but but like giving room yeah. to the relationships, like we can change, like we can change, like who who we root for, right? Yeah. Like yeah, that's and, how you that's how you get us to buy in. And I was always, I mean, like just because my introduction to Spider Man was a big fireside book that like reprinted the original story, you know, the original stories of Spider Man. So, like, when I first read Spider-Man ever, it was really Gwen Stacy that was in it. Yeah. And so that was just, especially as a kid, that's just naturally who I attached to. 
And I was like, who is this Mary Jane person? I don't know. But like given now, especially all of the history and like just all of the different relationships and life lessons and like everything that's happened, I, I do think MJ right now at least is the right person for Peter. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Somewhere out there, I'm sure there's a Felicia Hardy fan listening being like, don't forget Felicia. I, <laughs> we I just know. remembered Felicia. And Betty Brandt? Yep. At some point? Yeah. And and that was even that I I don't know, I don't, and this this is where my Spider Man knowledge is weak. I don't know if they ever had an actual relationship or just he always wanted to have a relationship with her when he was. Well, let's see, let's Google it. That's, yeah, I don't know. Did Peter Parker and Betty Brandt date after they had been attacked by the vulture? Peter had already noticed his attraction to Betty. Was impressed when she stood up over Jameson. They began dating shortly afterwards. Hey. Betty was impressed by Parker's kindness when taking care of his ill Aunt May. That's 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 all that matters. Are you nice to sick old ladies? Yes. <laughs> so obviously that was very early in the run because that was like that's all you yeah. need. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, Go sixties. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just so happy with Spider-Man right now. And I think our next issue is a Kelly Thompson issue. So, all right. Yep. Well, you got, you got another Spider-Man you want to talk about, don't you? I do. I do. Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 31. I actually read 30 and 31 both this week. Uh, this is written by Saladin Ahmed. Art is by Christopher Allen. Color is by Guru EFX and letters by Corey Pettit. So the last arc, the Clone Saga arc, was really heavy, right? Like, a lot was going on. It was leading up to a big anniversary moment. It was thematically challenging. Like, it was wonderful. It was fantastic. Like, probably a high watermark for Miles Morales stories. But this is something that gives a little more room to breathe, which I appreciate after a story like that. Um, 30 was Miles, like in a very Peter Parker kind of way, trying to get to a date with Starling. She finally called him back, and they scheduled a date, and it was just like, lost puppy, villain shows up, mandroid attack, like, all this stuff on the way to strike him. He's like, I don't have time to shower, I stink, but I'm gonna get there. And, like, she's gotten pulled into the same kind of stuff on her way there. And they're like, we're just going to hang out on the rooftop and catch up. And then we see through the sights of, like, a rifle sight, they are being targeted by Taskmaster, Master of Tasks. Oh, good lord. So this issue. Uh, uh, I thought I thought you were going to say bullseye, given that, you know, he's all his clones are out running about everywhere. No, no, shockingly not. Uh, look, if you've got to hire... In any comics universe, if you've got to hire an assassin mercenary uh, and you want to make me happy, there's a right call. There is one right answer here as far as I'm concerned, and it is Taskmaster, Master of Tasks. Can we see him fight Deathstroke? That'd be cool. (laughs) Um, No, no, that's not the one I want, Brian. Midnighter. (laughs) Oh, God. Taskmaster can mimic anyone. Midnighter can predict what you're going to do. I think Taskmaster is actually one of the few characters who could probably get the drop on Midnighter. The the, the fight never ends. <laughs> um, seeing Miles and Starling fight Taskmaster, like this is basically one big fight chase escape sequence and it's just so much fun like you get little bits of of the two of them fighting and he's like i've learned from watching the best and then does like a cap thing like you know taskmaster it's taskmaster it's very taskmaster it sounds like a movie or video game but that's the thing it's like (laughs) so clearly the fight is not the point the fight is just the set the shape of Yeah. yeah like the fight gives form to the rest of the issue in a way that I think is really clever and like really well executed. Very cool. Uh, the whole team like works really well together to pull that off. But yeah, it was, it's, it's <laughs> miles and taskmaster. It's exactly what I needed after clones and kidnapped little siblings and like miles staring into the darkest parts of himself. <laughs> there you go. 
Uh, is it still good? Second Coming, number six. Uh, I actually read both five and six this week. Jesus learns a valuable lesson about free will. Okay. I am Batman, number two. I'm actually going to take an extra moment with this one. This is sure. John Ridley uh, writing. We've got a different artist on this issue. Steven Segovia draws this one, and it is... I mean, they've all been gorgeous so far, but this one is just next level beautiful uh it's colored by rex locus letters are by troy pateri this one is very much just jace as batman on the street which i think from the future state stuff tended to be the parts i liked the most about those issues watching about watching how he worked what his priorities were and how he behaved differently as yeah. Batman than anyone else. I don't think I even told you before. Uh, I did read zero and one of this. Oh yeah. And like, yeah, him and his attitude of what he thinks Batman needs to be to the people is, yeah. is a very different and refreshing take. I like that. And I think that all of that is very clearly informed by John Ridley's views and experience as a black man. And this issue has a moment in it that makes, I think, very explicit that reality for Jace. We, we've all we've all kind of, we are not the first person to talk about it. We've talked about it before. But, like, the fact that he covers his whole face and doesn't leave his mouth visible. Right. Clearly is not telegraphing that he is a black man. Because he knows how that will play. And the book never makes a meal of that. It, 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 that calls me back to the Mr. Miracle. Story, yeah right that was uh, just a couple months ago but in this issue he needs to very quickly be scary to some thugs so he takes off that lower part of his mask that faceplate over his mouth is removable oh. he takes it off just to show that he is black and then they are terrified and that moment like it's not overplayed at all it is so like just another beat in the book but it is so specific and so intentional that, like, I am not fully equipped to talk about and unpack, obviously, that mm. moment. But it is, I think, a great example of what letting John Ridley tell this story, what letting writers who do not have just cishet white, especially cishet white male experiences, come in and take ownership of a book, and uh, if not a character, like, the legacy of a character right. who is not historically white and like tell it like clearly, clearly Ridley is being given a lot of room to, because you would be crazy not to give John Ridley room to tell sure. the stories that he values. Uh, but clearly he's being given room to do that. And this book is just so much stronger for, it. I mean, some of the best comics of this year have come out of John Ridley yeah. period. Mm -hmm. uh, cool. Yeah. I look yeah. forward to reading this one. Strange Adventures number 12. This is this is very much epilogue. Um and given the revelations and end of 11, which I'm not spoiling for Brian cuz I know he's a little behind. Uh this is very much about Alana picking up the pieces and doing an unexpected kindness for Mr. Terrific. Um I would I would without a pause read this team following this up with a mr terrific book Ooh, okay um i feel like most of most of tom king's miniseries like they're done they're over that concludes that story that take of the world this is the first one i'm like actually you should do a follow-up tom I, want I, more. I will say Mr. Terrific is exactly the type of character that he would pick up and write. Cause it's always yeah. these, uh, certainly I'm not going to call them B tier characters, but they're lesser used characters. You know, I think it's the same kind of characters who I feel like early, like a decade ago, TV shows really got the most leverage out of. Yeah, sure. Characters who had some, some recognizability, mm -hmm. but were not so well known or so mainstream that people got angry if you took liberties. Like Correct. Arrow, right? Yep. Other than maybe people not being happy that Dinah did not exist in this world, no one really got their feathers ruffled when Arrow invented a sister or, you know, 
did right. any number of other changes to canon because like who really who really gets that wound up about Oliver Queen's history? Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe that's where Tom King lives too, right? Yeah. Those are the characters he does the best with. Yeah. I mean, you look at like all the way back to like Omega Men, even. Right? I was going to say Omega yeah. Men. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> Me, I do yeah. now, but <laughs> yes. But we can't all be delightfully, delightfully. I don't know, uh, contrarian. Uh, fifty somethings. This is true. This is true. Do you know Six what? The, you know what? Though I welcome Tom King onto my lawn to write books. It's, it's yes. fine. <laughs> Six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, number five, Brian. Uh, yeah. So this is again. I think there's one more issue with this. So this is uh, we get the resolution to the stuntman war in this one, <laughs> and uh, the I think the setup for our final confrontation and. The uh, the answer to who killed Trigger uh, Keaton. Cool. As a quick PSA, Kyle Starks' Twitter account was hacked today. He's not giving away PS5s. <laughs> he is wow. he is now on a new a new account, the Kyle Smarks. It's the Kyle Starks, but with a T instead of a or with an M instead of a T. Off brand Kyle Starks. Yeah. There you go. Uh, X-Force number 24. Um, Beast lets Black Tom Cassidy inside of him while somebody takes, takes control of Peter Rasputin's story in, uh, well, in some ways that, 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 that are bad. Oh yeah, Yeah. this is the, uh, this is the Black Tom Cassidy Fantastic Voyage as the Beast, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. X-Men number four. Nightmare decides that with uh, Doctor Strange dead, the nightmares of New Yorkers are easy pickings. He does not expect Jean Grey to step up to him. (laughs) You done messed up. (laughs) (laughs) You have made a tactical error, my friend. It was at this point he realized he had fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, dead box number two. Um, Brian, I am going to bogart your quote of the week this week. Sure. Because Tom, or Tom King, Mark Russell is pulling no punches in this book. And I just want to read the opening narration. Okay. Yep. America's quote of the week. (laughs) America is a broken toy. The once prized possession of a child unwilling to part with it, even though it hasn't worked in years. Full of clattering pieces rolling around its vast interior, loose from the attachments that once gave them purpose. Looking in vain for the places where they once fit. A dream from youth that keeps you, gro- keeps you from growing up. The American small town exists to enable this fantasy. To give its inhabitants the illusion of belonging. To convince them the toy still works, that this somehow all makes sense, and for all this, it demands but a single unnegotiable, a single unnegotiable price: conformity. Mm. This is what it looks like when Tom King writes horror. It's just Mark Russell. <laughs> this is what it looks like when Mark Russell writes horror. It's somehow less like the contrivances of horror. It's just more honest. <laughs> it's 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 brutal. It's it's horror and that it's brutally honest. Yes. Mark Mark Russell's wow. horror is not less real. It's more. It's more real there. <laughs> what's what's the scariest thing you could think of to write in a horror book? Small town America Hol, holds up a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but for real though yeah ouch no that's that's great that's perfect yeah that was my quote of the week i do not get to give you grief for reading entire pages oh no that was beautiful that's beautiful (laughs) this week's books yes first up is a feast for everybody's eye holes (laughs) catwoman lonely city number one written drawn lettered and colored by cliff chang (laughs) woohoo (laughs) 
very excited. And you know what? I don't think I, I didn't put it on here, but um, if you have not read uh, Paper Girls, the entire series is coming out in like a big, huge bound, like $50 edition or something next week. Yeah. You owe it to yourself to pick that up and read it. Yeah, I'm so excited for this. I'm pretty sure this is one of the, like, oversized Black Label books. Yes. It's about an older Selina after Batman and the Joker and Commissioner Gordon are all, like, they all died in the same, like, ca- catastrophic event. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm super excited to see what this is. Very cool. Nubia and the Amazons, yes. number one. We mentioned this earlier. Written by Stephanie Williams and Vita Ayala, with pencils by Aletha Martinez, inks by Mark Morales, colors by Emilio Lopez, and letters by Becca Carey. This is Nubia, Queen of the Amazons. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, the this whole creative team is incredible. And Brian! Mm-hmm. Tell me about Refrigerator Full of Heads, number one. I mean, we're going back to the island, going back to Brody Island, it's the, uh... It's uh, the the sequel to uh, Basket Full of Heads. Uh, it is a new creative team, though. It is not Joe Hill. It is uh, Rio Euros, uh, and art is Tom Fowler. Yeah. Yeah, this should be... Uh, I- I'm excited, though. That series was so good. Um, I'm very much excited that, that we're going back here. Plus, it's rare. It is rare that a comic book not written by Colin Bunn has a title better than a comic book written by <laughs> Colin Bunn. Especially a horror comic, right? Right? Yeah. But yeah. this is maybe the best comic book title in history. <laughs> Refrigerator full of heads. I love it. All right. That is that is it this week. That's the show. We would, as always, like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. Panelology is a member of the Certain POV Network. If you're looking for other cool podcasts about popular culture, go to CertainPOV.com. You can visit us at PanelologyPodcast.com. Support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Panelology. Get merch at Bit.ly slash Merch, capital P, capital M, or send us your questions, comments, or whatever at Bit.ly slash Mailbag, capital P, capital M. I'm Alex. And I'm Brian. Go read comics. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.